If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments, the health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical practitioner who gives me street cred with the weirdo alternative medicine assholes. Hello, Dr. Scott. Hey, Dr. Steve. This is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you have a question, you're embarrassed to take to a regular medical provider. Or if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-Poohhead. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at DRScottWM. Visit our website at Dr. Steve for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on the show. We're not talking over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. Yeah, so I had a guy email me the other day. Oh, hey, Dr. Steve, I took your advice and I got the vaccine. I was like, dude, I didn't advise <laughs> you to do anything. Stop saying no. that. Because when he's, he has three heads growing out of his the middle of his back, then he's going to come after me. Yep. But um, we'll talk about vaccine safety a little bit later in the in the uh, uh, podcast. I think uh, Tacey will be calling in at some point. Yes. So anyway, but check out stuff.drsteve.com stuff. S-T-U-F-F dot drsteve.com for all of your Amazon needs. Takes you straight to Amazon. Look, it's grilling time. Buy yourself a damn Art grill. Mm-hmm. Treat yourself. Treat but your- do it by going to stuff.drsteve.com because <laughs> it really does help us out. And uh, noom.drsteve.com. It is time to get rid of all this weight that we put on yes. over the last year. Lord, yes. And Noom is a psychology program. There's a lot of COVID-related anxiety. My wife is suffering from some of it. We're going to have somebody on in a couple of shows that's going to talk about a new medical device that you can wear on your wrist for for situational anxiety and some other things. And that will be an interesting show. But for now, check out Noom, N-O-O-M dot drsteve.com. It is uh, a psychology app. That helps you change your relationship with food and a bunch of other stuff, too. It's great. And if you do that, you get two weeks free. You get a counselor. You get to check it out. You get to use the app. And if you like it, um, you can pay for a three-month subscription. It's not that expensive. It's cheaper than some of these other things that are like 50 bucks a month. It's less than that. And you get a 20% discount if you go to Noom dot dr steve.com and don't forget to check out dr scott's website at simply herbals.net do you have any uh nasal spray up there yet dr scott god oh, yeah seriously <laughs> no i felt miserably <clears throat> oh my god the, the port charlotte whore is gonna have it out with you just give her give her my number she can just okay yeah I'll i will her. do it yeah i'll take over okay 
All right, Dr. Scott. Um, have you got your vaccine yet? I have. Excellent. Okay, we'll give you one of these. Give yourself a bill! So, um, yeah, I was giving a talk mm-hmm. to uh, some uh, to a group of medical students, mm-hmm. and I'd ask them a question. When they get it right, I'd give them the good old... Give oh. yourself a bill! <laughs> Just kind of funny. <laughs> so... Um, uh yeah, so you've had both of them. I sure have. Okay, and I have too. So we can now take our masks off. Yes, <laughs> maybe. I like to keep mine on. It keeps people guessing. So I was very entertained by Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci duking it out, and it was really just two different ways of looking at things. Rand Paul was like, "You don't have any evidence that people who are vaccinated." can transmit the disease and Fauci was saying well you don't have any evidence that they don't Mm -hmm. and back and forth they went so it's the libertarian versus the you know um, I don't know whatever (laughs) the the sort of more um, uh, administrative kind of thing and so the libertarian side is, look, you don't have evidence that this is going to hurt anything. So why do we have to uh, hunker down and do these things if we've been fully vaccinated? And the other side is, well, you know, theoretically, and, and we brought this up on the show, um, people who have been fully vaccinated. Oh, by the way, we're talking about COVID-19 in case you weren't 100 percent sure. <laughs> um, fully vaccinated. Uh, uh, maybe they just get an asymptomatic infection. Well, you and I have talked about this. Sure. And so even though it, the odds of someone who has an asymptomatic active infection are low of transmitting it, they come into contact with orders of magnitude more people than somebody that's in isolation. Right. So, Or that's someone that's socially distancing. Um, so anyway... No, I, I got it right the first time. Someone that has the infection and they're isolated. So uh, so you figure it kind of evens out a little bit. Well, anyway, now the, the, we have the answer. The CDC enrolled about 4,000 people at high risk of being exposed to the virus because they were health care workers or first responders or other people on the front lines, and none of them had been infected before. So most of the participants received both shots of the vaccine during the study period, and about 12% of them only had one shot. They collected their own nasal swabs each week, which were sent to a central location for PCR testing. That's polymerase chain reaction testing. This is the most sensitive thing they're looking for, viral RNA. And the weekly swabs were uh, allowed the researchers to detect asymptomatic infections as well as symptomatic ones. Because if you remember, I told you when I was in the Pfizer trial, yes, they didn't test us for virus. They tested us for symptoms. Okay. So every week I had to fill out a, uh, a diary that said if I had any COVID symptoms or was I admitted to the hospital or any of that stuff. They never sent me a PCR test. I'm not saying they should have. I'm just saying they were looking to see if people got sick. They weren't looking to see if people got infected. Hmm. So it was possible that those people got infected, hmm. and they just didn't, you know, didn't know it. Right. Now, 
Pfizer every three months was checking antibodies. So they would have picked up on some of that. And I haven't heard that they ever picked up on any of that. But for a while there, we weren't sure what they were actually seeing. Was it um, we knew people weren't going to the hospital and they weren't dying, Mm. but were they getting infected? So anyway, so that's what this is looking at. And the investigators asked people about symptoms as well. You know, fever, chills, cough, shortness of breath, loss of smell or taste, that kind of stuff, just like I had to do every week. So this is sort of like the Pfizer follow-up on steroids. And um, among those who were fully vaccinated, there were 0.4 infections per 1,000 person days, meaning among 1,000 persons, there would be 0.04 infections in a day. And there were 0.0 I'm sorry, 0.19, so 0.2 infections per 1,000-person days among those who only had one dose of the vaccine. And in contrast, there were 1.38 infections per 1,000-person days in unvaccinated people. So let's see, what is that? That would be basically 1.38 times 5, right? So it's 500, 600%. Hang on a second. Echo, what's 1.38 divided by 0.2? 1.38 divided by 0.2 is 6.9. Yeah, so 60, 690% less, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So um, so listen, so here's the deal. So this was Rand Paul's question. Do these people get infected? If the answer is no, now it's not zero. No, it's not zero. But do we do things to make things zero in this in in this world? I don't think that I mean happens. you wear your seatbelt it doesn't make it zero. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't think total elimination is the you even can't. possible. No, I don't think so. No, it's no. crazy. But what they're showing is that these people don't get infected. Now, 6 months from now maybe they will, so mm-hmm. we got to keep looking at it. Mm-hmm. And maybe your COVID passport, which as a libertarian I am not in favor of. Um, is uh, would only last six months, right? You know, so. But anyway, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need long-term studies, obviously. Yes. But this is a good study, and these people are not getting infected. So look, here's my position on this, and we can, uh, you know, honest people can differ. Sure. If I have the vaccine and I'm fully vaccinated, there is no reason for me to wear a mask anymore if my mask protects you. You have nothing to fear from me. Mm. However, if I go, that may be true, if I go to a an airport and they require that I wear a mask, I'm not going to bitch about it. I'm not going to bitch and complain yeah. about it. That's their policy. Right. I cannot go to the airport. Yep, yep. You can, you so can any place, any municipality can set those rules now the problem with municipal with the government doing it of course is then you can't you can't not live under the government like <laughs> you know if there's a bar that requires a mask and another bar that doesn't then yep. i don't want to wear a mask i'll go to the one that doesn't and take right. my chances right there are other viruses out there by the way yes. you know puke bugs and stuff <laughs> like that that we haven't we sort of forgot about those but forgetting about that but you can't choose not to live under a municipality if you live there. Mm-hmm. So that's an issue I have an issue with. And, that, and, you know, the thing is, how would we do this passport thing? Are they going to 
you know, give you a tattoo. They give you a card. Are yep. you going to get a card? Implantable be, device. Can it be right? <laughs> right. Can it be? Uh, can this card be counterfeited? Uh, what do you need to get this card? Do you have to show your ID? You know all this stuff. And now we've got just another thing that limits people. That and and is this card uh, mandated by the government? Mm-hmm. Because then now. People who choose not to get the vaccine that want to take their chances, or let's say they had the infection. Right. Are they going to have an exception for those? If they don't, then people who choose not to have the vaccine are going to have, it's it's almost like, you know, the social score in other countries. You know, now all of a sudden there's things you can't do that other people can do because you made a choice not to do something that, you know, the overlords told you to do. Right. And that I have issues with. I'm also a physician, and I am interested in public safety. So sure. I have a, you know, I, I always have this internal battle. Mm-hmm. And people not getting deathly ill and having to go to hospital. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to see any of that. No, heck no. We've got enough shit to deal with. So I, I've always said protect the vulnerable, let the other people who are at low risk, even though they're not at zero risk, but I'm not at zero risk when I get in my car no. every day. Uh let them do their thing and when we get everybody up and vaccinated that and we i would really like to see us get a therapeutic that is a pill that we can just give that pretend prevents people from going to the hospital and prevents them from dying then that's then it's over Mm -hmm. anyway but I, i you know i would have a discussion with someone if they have a different point of view that they think is better than that i just don't know i don't know what the answer is a lot, a lot of those folks, and I saw a, a, a dude today on the morning news that was saying he he wasn't going to take it just because he didn't think there was enough science behind it. He just didn't trust it. Well, and that's and, and that's okay. But you know what I like to uh, you tell those people? It's, you know, it's, you're an adult, make your own decisions. But there is a lot of science behind it. Well, uh, obviously, you know what I'm saying. There's, there's a lot of science. So saying Moderna didn't just start no, and doing, doing vaccines. No. Their their company name is Mode RNA. They've been trying to come out with a uh, with an RNA virus for ages, and they were ready to go with SARS and MERS, and then they sort of you know fizzled out. They didn't have good results with Ebola, but, the, you know, it's uh, ongoing. But they were ready to go because of 10 years of research yeah, on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of great research. And may, may, I, add to, may I add to the vaccination thing? I, I, I had hypothesized for a while that after I got my second vaccine, uh, and we started to talk about it last show, um, felt poorly for 24, 48 yeah. hours. Then about two weeks later, I got a lump under my my armpit. Oh yeah, left armpit, which I found to me was comforting mm-hmm. because what it told me was that something really truly was working. But then, Doctor Steve, after that, I felt and I have felt better for the last two months than I've felt in a year. Oh yeah, interesting. And I in 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 this weekend it was interesting, and I brought it up today. But there is now there is now some proof and some research saying that people who have long haul COVID symptoms that yeah. do get the vaccine they feel better. They feel better because and they're not they're not saying why. But I I think and and you can certainly um, agree or disagree. But what what that tells me is that these vaccines identify those spike proteins that are still floating around your body hmm. and says hey bad bad actors hmm. kick them out 
and your so now your immune system has has recognized that Trojan horse, and they're going to run it off. Well, maybe and feel better. And it, but that would make sense because if that's if that's well, the mechanism, it, it makes sense. And what doesn't make sense is why you still have these proteins still uh, lollygagging yeah. around. And right? that's what they were saying in the in the paper too. So yeah. I'm just I'm just guessing. No, that's I, interesting. I, I don't have any scientific proof, but because they can't figure out why people have the long haul COVID symptoms. Right. Yeah. And that's right. kind of interesting. That is. Yeah, if it becomes like a chronic infection yeah. or something. Um, the one thing that we can't say will never happen and that I agree with people on, if, if they just go, well, it ain't no science, but it ain't science, and it's just people throwing out the word science that don't nope. honestly understand what the word means. But <laughs> there are some people that have a... A legitimate concern, and I had this concern from day one, is immune enhancement. Now, there was a phenomenon that was seen when they were making feline mRNA vaccines against coronavirus. Okay. And when they vaccinated the felines, they, um, uh, when they were re-exposed to other coronaviruses, they died. Mm-mm. Now, why they don't, and it's called um, uh, antibody-dependent enhancement, or ADE. Okay. And it's a form of immune enhancement, and it's poorly understood. But uh, it's a concern in situations when people are continuously reinfected with particular viruses. And with the vaccines that work by injecting snippets of the virus to mimic a first infection. And so... Um, some of those, like the RSV virus, res- respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, have been shown in the past to make disease worse when those patients contract the virus again. Hmm. And now, these cases are exceedingly rare across viruses, but it was n- nerve-wracking in the beginning because what if we see that? That's why you do phase one, phase two, and phase three trials. The good news with this is there's no evidence of this whatsoever because we would have seen it by now with the number of people that have been infected or uh, vaccinated and then subsequently infected. Right. And they would have been keeling over right and left, and yeah. there would have been a statistically significant uh, nerve-wracking. Yes. Because, you know, I joked about all of this in the beginning you know i've seen i am legend and all that stuff you know (laughs) we don't want those sorts of effects to happen but you know what if um antibody dependent enhancement happened with this vaccine and two years from now people were dropping right and left from what would have been just a common cold at the time Mm -hmm. but there is zero evidence of this now i'm looking at the scientist and uh, they talk about a dengue fever a vaccine. It says dengue remains the best studied, and one of the very few solid examples of ADE. It's thought to occur in communities where there are multiple viral strains of dengue circulating. And while antibodies against one dengue strain will typically reliably protect against that strain, things can go awry when the antibodies encounter a different strain of dengue. Instead of neutralizing the virus, that is, binding to and blocking the protein the pathogen needs to enter the host, the antibodies only bind to the virus without neutralizing it. And this can be a, become a problem when immune cells dock onto the tail ends of these antibodies. That's what they do. 
And uh, the dengue viruses use these receptors to infect cells. If the antibodies aren't disabling the pathogen, they actually end up helping the virus enter the um, the white blood cells to infect them. And so it's like a Trojan horse. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you make the infection easier. There, one of the hypotheses is you make the antibody against the wrong side of the spike protein. Hmm. But... Uh, that's really difficult to do with this vaccine because it only causes the body to manufacture just the, you know, the spike receptor. So uh, we've not, again, not seen any of this. This is the legitimate complaint. Now, if someone said, listen, I'm really worried about antibody-dependent enhancement, uh, you know, my counter to that is we haven't seen it, but I understand your concern. Sure, sure. Other than that, I, I'm not I'm not seeing it. No. No. You know, there's tons of science. There's tons of science. And and I'm pretty sure that Bill Gates is not putting any any um, nanotechnology into the vaccines and well, tracking Well, we us. don't even have that. It hey, doesn't that's exist. my point. That's what, my point. But what, what would, <clears throat> to what end would, would that be? Zero. Zero. None. No I mean, they can that. track us already anyway, with our yeah. effing cell phones. With our phones, with satellites, with cameras. There's cameras all over. You can track I mean, if I ever right. really wanted to go to Reno and... and and, uh, Have a good time. Yeah, strip my stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah, how can I do it when it, you, you know? Can't. <laughs> They've got facial recognition. Well, they have the, your, your yes. cell phones. Being but my pinged. cell phone will will tell on me. <laughs> yep. Because we have Life three sixty, <laughs> so Tacy would get a thing saying, yep. you know, Steve arrived at the at the um, Mustang Ranch. Yeah. <laughs> You know, after a three-mile yep. drive. And then your Discover so, card's going to send you an email saying, you just spent $1,200. Yeah, that, that, too. <laughs> for, at the Mustang Ranch. So I, to develop a nanotechnology that would not be as effective as my cell phone, because the, we there's no nanotransmitters. It would have to be passive mm-hmm. RFID. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that would be. So if, if people aren't aware of active versus passive RFID, you know, active, you're transmitting a signal. Right. There's no nanotechnology that we have that can transmit a signal. Well, you know, it uses the energy of your cell. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do that. Different kind of energy. It doesn't, it doesn't work <laughs> that way. And um, so it would have to be passive, and you would, that way you would have to pass under a... Um, you know, a detector somewhere. Yeah, a scanner so the detector, of some sort. A scanner yeah. would have to be set up somewhere. Right. When my cell phone is constantly telling them where <laughs> I am. It tells you how fast you're driving. Yes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> that pissed me off. Okay, so my, you got me going on, on this damn topic. My um, <laughs> insurance company said, oh, put this monitor yes. in your car and we'll monitor your every move. Yes. And we'll know exactly where you go at all times to make sure you're not going. I'm. I, you know that they're looking here. They're going into a sketchy neighborhood to cop or whatever. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, and then your insurance rates go up. But uh, you know, I did all the things. I slowed down. I didn't accelerate too fast. I didn't slam on the brakes as much <laughs> as I usually did. You know how much I saved on my on my bill four dollars <laughs> when i saw that i said get this damn thing out of my car <laughs> well it made me so damn mad they, they, they offered they offered one to me and i said uh you've obviously not seen me drive yeah. i'll be um <clears throat> passing on that thing. yeah 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 
So, but you know, they could say, if you don't do it, we're going to raise your rates, and so yes. they can coerce us into doing that. Yeah, really good. And you know, we we can go to Big Lou's uh, auto insurance at that point. Yep. But you know, and, and when they get all of them to to do it, then there's no place to go. No. No, <laughs> that would be kind of frightening with it. So, and then it's like, well, it's your choice. Well, what kind of choice is that? Okay, here it goes. Good. Here we go. Here we go. Tacy, you're on weird medicine. Oh, no. Oh, she must be feeling better. Oh, no. No. She's feeling better. Why? <laughs> I better stop and call her and see what oh, else shit. she needs. Hang on. Okay, we're back. She. Better pray to the good Lord above that I don't ever die. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know how she'll FaceTime anybody or turn the TV on or anything. I don't know. Run the air conditioner, yeah. stove. No, she knows. And oh, well, she doesn't know how to work the um, the the electronic uh, thermostat. <laughs> <laughs> so that is true. Mm-hmm. She'll just burn up or she'll freeze. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a getter, no. That's what we say in Tennessee. You're a getter. All right. Well, you want to do some? Let's do some phone calls. Okay. All right. This one is apropos to our discussion. Just calling to comment on the show. I know two people who received the vaccine. One, a young teenage boy. Um, what he's experiencing as a um, side effect of the vaccine is not the same as um, getting um, COVID-19 and I mean that because he's hospitalized but with swelling of the tongue and throat you know almost like an allergic reaction Um, reminds me of what happened to someone who I recently came across a friend of mine who was almost in a grill and had an allergic reaction so where you're um, throat swells, which can be really dangerous, and also know a friend personally who, uh, for seven years, has had an artificial knee. Never had. A- Here, let's talk about this uh, first. Serious reactions to vaccines are certainly possible. Mm-hmm. They are exceedingly rare. Um, let me see if I've got um, a uh, a number on that. See it, what they say is if you have a severe allergic reaction known as anaphylaxis, that's when your throat swells up, you have trouble breathing, and they have to give you epinephrine to 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 stop it. They say uh, if you have that, don't get a second bo- shot of the vaccine. And that's kind of a oh really? Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Obvious. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, uh, an allergic reaction is considered severe when a person needs to be treated with epinephrine. Okay. If you didn't get have to be treated with epinephrine, it's not a severe reaction. It's a reaction. Right. And it may have given you a, a bit of a scare. Bit of a scare, yep. But it's not considered severe. Okay. All right. But that can happen. Yeah. Certainly can happen. The issues with it got the first dose of the vaccine. Her orthopedic specialist told her that it was absolutely responsible for setting off a chain reaction in her body. Um, and producing a staph infection. You know, the staph was probably there dormant on the instrument for years and would have remained that way, but then the body has an immune response to the vaccine and sets off this chain reaction where the staph now prolificate um, 
This sounds like a way to get out of a lawsuit. That's what I'm thinking today from the, from the surgeon. I mean, I'm not laughing about your friend, and I, I'm sorry that they had a staph infection uh, infection after COVID vaccine. Let's just look it up and see. Uh, I don't. I have not seen any. Yeah, I'm with you. I've not um, never anything saying that the COVID vaccine can enhance um, a, a bacterial infection. But let's just see here. Um, here's whoa. Oh. Okay, I know what that is. That's somebody trying to call Tacy, and it's going through here. Okay, it looks like she answered it. Okay. So here it is, Staphylococcus bacteremia in patients when infected with COVID-19, but yeah. Secondary bacterial infections result in higher morbidity and mortality. That happens because of the damage that's done to the body by the virus itself. So, um, yeah, it's interesting in that. I mean, I, hmm. That, that's a, a, that orthopedist is, um, putting forth a hypothesis that it is testable. I'm not finding any data here about either, other people way. having the same sort of thing. Me either. So, uh, yeah, sorry about that. I hate that for, that is an interesting hypothesis. I would want to, him, I would want that orthopedist to produce their source for that. And if there is one out there, if anybody out there knows, shoot it at me. I'm just not finding it. All right. I'm finding lots of people that are infected with staph subsequent to having um, having COVID-19, but we see that with influenza as well. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry about your Yeah, threat. I hope they get better quick. Sucks for both of them. I'm still recommending the vaccine. But, yes, and by the way, this brings up a good point. Everything has adverse effects, sometimes serious. Yes. It's what you have to weigh the risks versus the benefits and the benefits to the individual with this vaccine you know a lot of times we say well the benefit to society outweighs the risk to the individual but the there's benefit to the individual with this one as well because of the high rate of effectiveness of these things so uh wearing your seat belt will prevent you from dying 50 percent of the time Mm -hmm. if you're in a wreck that would otherwise throw you out of the car yep Whereas if you wear your seatbelt, it may increase your risk of dying if your car catches on fire and the door is smashed in. But that's basically one mil- one time in a million. Yeah, and you're going to be in pretty probably dire shapes anyway. Yeah, even yeah, even yeah. If the It'd be nice to be able to yeah. get out of the car. I get it. Yeah. Um, that's why they sell those things that cut your seatbelts, mm-hmm. you know, in case you get stuck in the car. Oh, yeah. Um, and I recommend people have those. But my point is, wearing the seatbelt may increase your your risk of dying once one a million events, whereas not wearing it will increase your risk of dying about one in time in two. Yep. So the risk versus the benefit. The benefit is much greater than the risk of wearing your seatbelt. And that's the same kind of thing here. Yep. All right. Hey, Dr. Steve. It's Calvin from California. Hey, man. So earlier I had eaten a banana, and then my cell phone, Samsung Galaxy, was laying on the table. Okay. And when I moved the banana peel, 
the banana peel was able to manipulate the screen of the cell phone. Yes. I can only manipulate the screen of the cell phone with my charged finger because it's got the electromagnetic field and my and my organic being, you know, my carbon-based life form. <laughs> but if I try to use a pen or a pencil or any other inanimate object, it can't manipulate the phone screen. So why is a banana peel that's not being charged by my hand manipulating the screen of a smartphone? Yeah. I also tested it uh, by using... Also, by the way, you're not charged. Whoops. We don't walk around charged. If we did, we'd be shocking stuff every time. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can charge yourself up if you walk across... Uh, a car, the right kind of carpet at the right time of year when they're in a lot of water vapor in the air, right? And you can be have a carry a slight charge for a very short period of time, but basically matter exists in a neutral state, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's not why touchscreens work because you're charged. The, what you're looking at is a capacitive screen. There's resistive screens and capacitive screens. Resistive screens are touch sensitive. Anything that touches them will will set them. You know what you can work them. And there's two screens that are that are sandwiched together that have a little spacer in there. And when you uh, press on it, the uh, you know the um, the point of t- where you touch it. Mm-hmm has a different resistance than other parts of the uh, screen and right. so it'll register as as a hit right uh, capacitive screens don't use pressure to create a change in flow so you figure that out if he uses a pencil with a rubber eraser on it it won't it won't work or a plastic pen these work with anything that holds an electric charge including human skin it, it just has to be conductive it doesn't have to be actually positively or negatively charged okay so they're, they're constructed from materials like copper or indium tin oxide that store electrical charges in this grid of tiny wires, and each of them are smaller than a human hair. And then uh, there are surface and projective type screens. doesn't really matter, but the surface capacitive uh, uh, screens use sensors at the corners and a thin distributive film. And then the projective ones use a grid of rows and columns with separate chip for censoring, sensing. So um, when the finger hits the screen, a tiny electrical charge is transferred to the finger to complete the circuit, creating a voltage drop at that point in the screen. And that's why they don't work when you wear gloves, because cloth doesn't conduct electricity unless it's fitted with a conductive thread. And uh, the software processes this location of the voltage drop and orders the ensuing action. So uh, I'm getting that last part from uh, scienceline.org. So you can, there are certain styli that are conductive, and then there you can use those. Mm-hmm. And there are certain styli, the old school ones, that you would use with a resistive screen that were not conductive, no longer work on these kinds of screens. So um, if it's conductive... It'll work, and your finger is conductive, but so is that banana peel. And so that's how it works. All right? Pretty cool stuff. All right. Now, here's one for you. You might be able to answer this one. I'm glad P.A. John's back because I got a medical question I uh, need uh-oh. to answer. Well, he was back for one week, genius. That's yeah. Stacy Deloach. <laughs> and uh, he's. we don't know how often he's going to be able to get over here, but we'll try. Anyway, 
We enjoyed having old PA. Hey, it was good. PA shithead in the PA studio. Heel Spurs. Pennsylvania John. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. That is he, funny. Call, he called up the call screener on Opie and Anthony and said, hey, it's PA John. And they just put it up as PA John. And then uh, Pennsylvania, read it. It's Pennsylvania John on oh. line three. <laughs> oh, I don't love it. He didn't have any clue. Who the hell he love was. it, love it, love I've it. I've got not one, but two of them. One that points down, and one that points out of the back of the hill that points up. What's the best way to, to deal with a hill spur? And is there any food that kind of affects it, like too much food. sodium? Will that make one flare up or something such as that? Not that I'm aware well, of. Okay, you want to take this about heel yep. spurs because it isn't the spur that causes the problem, right? No, I'll tell you, it's not. It's the it's the failure really of the arch and the shoes that you're wearing, kind of pitching you forward. And the more tension you have on the on the fascia and the connective tissue in the bottom of your foot, the more tension you have on the bone. It pulls the bone off of the heel, and you get heel spurs. Because bone is not a rock; no. it is an active living yes. tissue yes. that will respond to. To tension. To tension by stressors. growing in that direction. Yep. That's, that's you know, it, one way that keeps your hips strong mm-hmm. is because you're always standing up. You're always f- creating bone uh, perpendicular to the stress. But anyway, yeah. so go ahead. Yeah, and that's right. And, you know, we see, oh, and axial to the stress, too. Well, we see, we see a little, a lot of a lot of the bone spurs really inhale in the shoulder both just because of the way the joint's set up. But I can, I can tell you, Dr. Steve, one way not to fix a heel spur but to take a lot of the pressure off of it and it's counterintuitive but is to learn to get your balance back on your heels and the way i teach people to do that is if you can't afford or or don't like to wear um, chacos which are the shoes that have negative heels they'll take a lot of the stress off the arch of your foot and takes a lot of the pressure of your bone spurs Hmm. that's one way to do it and um the other i mean you could you can certainly Go in and surgically remove a bone spur, but in the foot, that's going to be pretty nah. painful. Yeah, it's going to be very. I'm no, I just, I'm, I don't like it. I don't like it. But it, you know, in theory, in theory, if you can, <laughs> if you'll take the tension off of the off of the fascia that's there or the the, the tendons that are pulling yes. on the bone, yeah, that's the correct answer. Yeah. Now there are some things that you can do at home. Uh, for plantar fasciitis, a lot of people have this will be runners, but mm-hmm. some people just walking around will get this heel pain, well, you, and it sucks. And it's usually worse in the morning when you get up because it's sort of contracted, and now you're trying to stretch it back out mm-hmm. again. So uh, a couple of exercises you can do is the lean, where you lean into the wall and you're stre- and you you know on your tiptoes, mm-hmm. and then push your heels back down and try to stretch that out, and you'll feel it. The other thing you can do is uh, my physical therapist says get a, uh, you know, one of those little seven ounce Coke bottles, take it out of the refrigerator and roll it under your foot. Sure. Don't and it, it gives, that does give you some relief. And, and those those things do give you some temporary relief. But honestly, what I've seen to, to literally fix the plantar fasciitis yeah. is to get to learn how to stand on your heels. In, in the, way I, the way I teach them, Dr. Steve, yeah. if when you're standing up, if mm-hmm. you can wiggle your toes, your toes are not engaged. That means the arch of your foot is resting, which is where you want it. And if you're leaning forward, like in big tennis shoes or cowboy boots or something to pitch you forward, then you've got a lot of extra strength. So you're saying you need to be able to wiggle your toes. When you're standing, you're yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. that takes a lot of load off of the fascia. Okay. Yeah, sure. Now, um, when I was in primary care, I recommended Thule heel cups. Mm-hmm. T-U-L-I, and I had a lot of people get good results with those. And then I went to a running place. 
And they had this really cool thing. It's a sock that you wear at night, and it has Velcro yeah. on the toe yeah. and a strap and, and Velcro on the on the shin. And you actually pull that thing up and then Velcro the toe to the yeah, shin. No, they... And it looks uncomfortable, but it will stretch that plantar fascia, you know, the, that, that sort of uh, inverse suspension bridge mm-hmm. under the foot, the arch of the foot. And uh, stretching it will then allow you to uh, have a little less tension in it when you're when you're running. The third thing, or whatever I don't even know the fourteenth thing. <laughs> how, how many things we talked about? Uh, I would inject those yeah. with uh, cortisone. And the thing is, for the buddy, for the medical students that are listening, never inject from the plantar yeah, side another from, from the, the bottom, bottom of the foot. Because no. if you do that and you get a little scarring from that injection. Because uh, you're using steroids too, and you've got micro trauma, uh, it'll always feel like they're running or walking on a rock. Yep. So you want to go in from the side, mm-hmm. which means you got to get good at your 3D perception. Yes, in your brain, you've got to see it in three dimensions. Yeah, so. yeah, so that you can get that needle in right where that the tendon, um, or uh, sorry, the ligament attaches Attaches to the heel bone, which we call the calcaneus. So. <laughs> You uh, and you never want to put it into the ten the ligament itself. Mm-hmm. You want to inject it around the ligament, let them walk around and kind of mush the the medication around. Because mm-hmm. if you go directly into the ligament, you can actually expand it, cut off its blood supply, and then it becomes disconnected. And that's you now you're even worse. Yeah. So this is not a procedure to be done by the faint of heart. No. You know, I do. I, I I use long needles and just come in from the sides on both sides mm-hmm. and put electrical stimulation to it. Yeah, kind of simple. Yeah. Could yeah. be could be interesting. Oh yeah. All right. Good deal. All right. So that's your heel spur thing. See your primary care if you if doing the home things doesn't get you any better. Hey, Doctor Steve. Hey, man. John from Kentucky. Hey, John. Hey, you may have covered this question already, but I've got friends that got the uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccine. Okay. And. One of the side effects they had was raging erections. What? Stop it. Please, do tell. Hmm. And then can I also get that vaccine as well? Can Double what? down on it. Okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know why? It's because the vaccine chart re- resembles a penis. I was going to say, did they did they? Have actually... you seen the vaccine chart? I don't think so. So Johnson Johnson vaccine chart resembles a penis. And here, come look at this. See yeah. if you can see this. I don't know. I've got it's. I got to be careful turning oh, this thing around. Oh, it looks like an erect penis. Oh my god! Just Google people who are listening. Google Johnson and Johnson oh god, vaccine chart resembles penis, and you'll see it looks like an erect, weirdly shaped penis. This person looks like they've got hypospadias. <laughs> so that's what uh, Bobo had, where the urethra come comes out of the. Uh, the wrong part of the uh, penis instead of out the middle of the the Roman war helmet where the uh, the meatus is actually somewhere else, sometimes on the shaft of the penis, which is really weird. Yeah. But that's what this looks like. It looks like an erect, hypospadiac um, uh, penis. And then it goes out and it's got numbers 0 to 63, and it ends up right around 65. So it looks like a 65-centimeter penis. <laughs> Right? <laughs> should be pretty damn big. But anyway, I think that's where this comes from because I haven't heard any of this other thing. Nor have I. I think, listen, we've all been cooped up in the house for a year or slightly more. 
now and i think people get their vaccine and they're and they just get excited and then they get a big giant rod because they're thinking about all the fun they're going to have could be yeah. that's the only thing i can think of that's right because i have not psychosomatic uh, seen anything else yet. yeah <laughs> that's funny I haven't even, that's cool but maybe it's just unique to kentucky who knows yeah yeah i guess <laughs> Well, we have another question about the J&J vaccine, but this one's... Hey, Dr. This Steve, one I can quick answer. question. I don't think you covered this, but obviously if you did, you could ignore it. No. Why is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine one shot and the others are two shots? Yeah. Um, the only thing I know that's different is J&J is a DNA and the other ones are an RNA. Um, make sense of that, please. Thank you so much. Yeah. So um, th- that's correct and and incorrect at the same time so the pfizer and moderna vaccines we've covered pretty significantly on the show they use messenger rna which is just instructions to your cells to make the spike protein the j and j vaccine uses a little bit different approach um it uses a viral vectored vaccine which is they take a harmless virus in this case an adenovirus this is a virus that causes common colds and they engineered it to carry the genetic code for the SARS spike protein. And once the adenovirus infects you, basically, you're causing an infection, it enters the cells, and then it uses the code to make the spike protein, and then the body does all the same thing. So mm-hmm. it's just a different approach to it. Uh, J&J uh, used the same technology to make an Ebola vaccine. You know, we'll, we'll see on that one. Now, why one do- dose instead of two? Well, you you may not find this answer uh, very, very uh, satisfying, but J&J just studied one dose. That's it. Oh, wow. Is that the only thing? Yeah. Pfizer oh, okay. could have studied one dose, and they would have had, what, 85% effectiveness, and we would have gone, wow, that's pretty damn good for a damn vaccine. But they went for two, and they got 94% efficacy. Mm. Okay? Mm. So J&J just wanted to see if one dose would work, and, and they, they did it, and it's, what, 68%, 66% infected uh, or protective. And um, uh, sorry, l- let me, l- I, I got that wrong. That was uh, 66% protective against moderate to severe COVID infections from 28 days after in, in, injection. It's 72% protective in the United States, 66% protective in South America, maybe because of variants, 57% protective in South Africa. Hmm. But it's 85% protective against severe disease with no differences across all those countries. No hospitalizations or deaths in the vaccine arm. So what they're saying is, look, we're not so worried about making everybody asymptomatic. We want to prevent hospitalizations and death and we can do it with one shot Hmm. and pfizer and moderna can't say that right uh conclusively because they didn't set out to study theirs with one shot but they could and i'll bet you it'll be similar yeah yeah they they may even have slightly better uh prevention of infection but the outcomes as far as hospitalization and deaths i bet would be about the same Mm -hmm. but you have to go with what you studied when it goes right you go through the dance with who bring you when you go that's right yeah. that's right when you go for um approval you can't say well we we studied it with two shots but we were seeking approval for one and the fda would go well where's your data <laughs> yeah no thanks so when i was 
considering getting my Ph.D. in in um, organic chemistry instead of going to medical school, I published a paper in the Journal of Organic Chemistry. And one of the things that just blew my mind was you get these protocols and the the scientist will write down. Uh, let the um, let you know mix up these reagents and do add add these other uh, 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 chemicals to it and then let it sit for 48 hours. Okay. And so you have to write it down that way. And then when you reproduce it, you gotta you kind of have to do it that way. And the thing is, the, the the fucker went on you know did it on Friday and went away for vacation and he just let it sit there for 48 hours. But now because they did that, you have to include that in your protocol oh, wow. until you then come back and redo the experiment totally different where way. you where you didn't leave it for 48 hours okay. but now you got all these poor bastards out there trying to reproduce your your work and they're letting it oh well i have to let it sit for 48 hours it's just because he literally did it on friday <laughs> and then came back on monday <laughs> <laughs> oh, so but that shows you that it's actually it's a good thing yep. because you don't want to let it sit for 48 hours and then not tell people you did that because they may not be able to reproduce your experiment if, for some reason, your experiment only worked because you let it sit for 48 hours. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. So that's the same thing with this. If they only studied it in women, they could only get it approved in women. If right. they only sure. studied it and with one dose, they can only get it approved for one. If they only studied it in two, they can only get it approved for two. Mm-hmm. But the J&J vaccine, ha- you know, prevents hospitalizations and uh, death. And death. death. Yeah, That's lot, the yeah. big thing. So. Yep. All right. Cool. Okay. Uh, J&J, by the way, is testing a two-dose regimen. And I'll guarantee you that Pfizer and Moderna are testing a, a single-dose <laughs> regimen out there. All right. And see, you know, like Pfizer, their vaccine contains 30 micrograms. Moderna uh, contains 100. You know, they're using three times more, but they're not getting better results. Right. But they can't now say, well, or we're just going to put 30 in ours, too. They'll have to study it. Right. That is the beauty of science. You know, you just don't make assumptions and about levels stuff. of and levels of study and redundancy and yeah, all these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. No, well, you just can't you're, assume you're right. things. No, you're right. Especially in science, you can't. You can't. Nope. You can't even assume a baseball, a double play in baseball. I could just assume science. Well, well that's a damn give good. yourself you a cannot. damn good. You cannot. Good point there, Doctor Scott. There you go, buddy. Hey, Doctor Steve. It's Matt in Austin, Texas. Hello, Matt. Uh, I have a question for you. Why is it? that whenever you get drunk on different forms of alcohol, uh-huh. it feels different. Like, say, a champagne drunk versus a tequila drunk yep. versus a beer drunk. They all feel different. Yes, it does. Um, but isn't it the same kind of alcohol? Yes, it is. Uh, thanks. Bye. So one hypothesis has been that there are these things called cogeners, and these are other chemicals that are in uh, the drink that you're drinking that, that are byproducts of of the production. Okay. And most of that's been pretty poo-pooed, although, you know, not, it hasn't, who's going to fund that study? <laughs> you know, Nobody. but the cogeners can absolutely contribute to your hangover. Sure. So red wine, bourbon compared to vodka or white wine for some people, that kind of thing. But there's no 
evidence that they produce different moods and things like that. So the critical factor is how you drink it. I was going to say I've I've got a, I've got a hypothesis. Yeah, go ahead. Go <laughs> well, ahead. No, I think it's how you drink it. You know, yep. a lot of a lot of those things like you just described. If they're much higher alcohol content, yep. you're going to get a lot quicker um, dehydration in your brain. It's going to hurt worse yeah. in the morning. It's going to vomit more. Um, but it's also going to feel different, too. You know, when you sip champagne or sip a bourbon, you get a kind of different, more constant thing than if you're slamming you know, a it. shot, uh, you know, a, a rusty nipple or whatever, <laughs> uh, you uh, know, a turgid penis or one, whatever those, you know, shots are. Those, dub, those Long Island iced teas. I've only done yeah. a shot once in my life, and I ended up in, I was in Australia uh, stumbling back to my room at two in the morning, not knowing who, who I had been with or what the hell I had done, and my woke up with my wife just staring at Listen, me. Didn't you just you just it was, it's, it's been what fifteen years? What's that since that yeah, happened? Yeah, when y'all went to Australia. No, no, no. Uh, uh, Liam was was he had to be little. Wait a minute. Because I remember Beck, when you went. Beck just... was conceived on that one. Yeah, so <laughs> so Beck is 16. So, yeah, it was uh, 16, 17 years ago. Yep, yep. I remember that. Yep. So, anyway. Yep. How crazy you were because y'all, what you, you made you made her take a separate flight from you or something? Huh? No. No, didn't you? No. You were talking about that. Oh, because we were talking about because if one if, plane, if, if you one plane went down, down. yeah, no. we actually did consider that. I knew it. <laughs> My memory is infallible. Because we had a little kid and we didn't, you know, we wanted him to have at least one parent. I remember that. Anyway, hey, thanks everybody. Can't forget uh, Dr. Scott. Thank you, sir. We can't forget Rob Sprantz, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton, Travis Teft, that Gould girl, Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy 1008, Eric Nagel, the Port Charlotte whore, the Saratoga skank, Roland Campos, sister of Chris, Sam Roberts. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I got it. She who owns pigs and snakes. Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, the great Rob Bartlett, Casey's Wet T-Shirt, Carl's Deviated Septum, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, Ron Bennington, and Fez Watley, who supported the show, has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our SiriusXM show on the Faction Talk channel, SiriusXM channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, on demand, and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps, quit smoking, and get off your asses and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.